Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Thank you guys for coming. Rumi, uh, we have like a, a family Instagram thing, I guess. What do you call it? Messages? Is that what Instagram? I'm pretty bad at that stuff. Like a, a, a family messages chat in Instagram. And so Bella and I just send each other reels of puppies all the time. Bella used to send me reels of, I mean, sorry, Romy used to send me reels of horses all the time. But I've been, in lot, I've been getting lots of reels of babies lately. So pray for me. I'm a little concerned. Because I keep, I've occasionally heard the A word come out of her mouth of adoption. And every time I hold a baby, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 50 years old. I don't know if we can take on another kid. My goodness. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just as bad because I'm sitting here pictures of Stella. So I'm, I'm just as bad. Um, I actually, so just really praying about tonight and, and kind of what to share on or what, what to sort of talk about. And I think I did share, Romy's got a class right now. She apologizes for not being able to to be here. Um, and I will continue a bit of what I talked about this morning about, not spiritual health, what is it? Uh, overhaul. That's great. I love that, overhaul. I love the prophetic side of our church and that God is speaking to all of us. And uh, I just love that what comes out of our, the sound that comes out of our house and the voice that comes out of our house isn't my voice, you know what I mean? It's it's actually the voice of the Lord. Several people asked me for a recording of, um, oh gosh, I forgot her name, the lady that prophesied this morning. So I don't know if it's on the recording, but I'll check it uh, if you guys are looking for it. And um, But don't ask me, by the way, what was it you spoke over me? Because I often don't remember. So I try to do record those. You know, one of the things that I do is if somebody ever gives me, like has a word over me, or if something is said that may not be specifically for me, but I'm like, you know what I mean? I write it down. But I've I've taken the habit now that if somebody prophesies over me, I go, hang on a second. And I do a quick voice memo because I forget, right? And I can believe for divine remembrance, I guess. But I realize that there are prophetic words that I have had over the years that I kind of forgot, but I had... I have one long note in my phone. One of them is all the prophetic words that I've gotten for me. And then others are like, sometimes they're from prophetic people. Sometimes they're directly from God, but it's years worth. And I can go back and I can also often <clears throat> see a pattern of the Lord saying something or I'll, I'll see something is happening and I, it sounds familiar and I'll go back to something 10 years ago. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. I remember I dug up, a prophetic word that I got when Romy was seven months pregnant with Jai. And the word was some a very, probably the most accurate prophet that I've encountered. And she said, uh, she's prophesying over Rom- Romy and I in the front of the church, big old seven-month belly with Jai. And she goes, the, the prophet starts going, and your daughter. And I'm like, oh, she's missed it. Because we knew we were having a boy, right? But she goes, and your daughter, she's just going to think everybody lives at church. She's going to love God's house. 
She's going to want to be there all the time. And I'm literally sitting there going, next. And then we have Bella. And wherever she is, she's here somewhere. Like, what she prophesied, I didn't realize, was one the next kid. You know what I mean? Stop talking about kids, Clayton. I got them on my brain right now. So the point was, um, write it down. Write down the prophecy. And if you can, get a recording of it. So if you got a prophetic word or there was a, I, I think, where is Nico here? I know he's here somewhere. Do we record those, Nico? Do we record the prophetic part? Is that normally recorded? Oh, okay. Jose, I thought they just pulled up. I think Jose just pulled up. Um, I think I'm drinking my water. I'm not sure. But if I'm out sick tomorrow, I'm just kidding. Um, I think we record those. So if you want it, let me know, and I can get you a copy of it. That's all I'm saying. One of the things before I get into to kind of this message, I actually want these meetings once a month to be a couple of things. I, I do think it's important to gather together leaders and you're all leaders, by the way. I think it's important that we gather together leaders for a couple of things. It's to encourage you. It's to train you. But there's also incredible power in the corporate prayer of leaders like this. And so when we get together and we're like, hey, let's pray. I really do mean it, that it's not meant to be a passive moment, right? When you, if you're like me, <clears throat> sometimes when I'm like this, if I get in a room full of, of leaders, I, I, I sometimes stand back a bit because I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not like that person. I'm not, not standoff as in, I don't want to contribute, but it's like, there are so many people here that have so much more to contribute. And if I speak up, they're all going to realize how much of an idiot I am. And so first time quiet, like I'm going to be quiet. But yet that's not what, what family does, right? This is not a meeting of leaders so much as it is a, it's a family dinner. It's a family gathering. And so when we pray, whatever level you're at, just engage at that level. I was amazed when I, we were talking about Young Cho earlier. I was in Young Cho's church. I don't know how many years ago it was. And I had always heard, it's funny how you hear stories about things until you get there, and then you're like, oh, it's actually different to what I was told, right? And the story I had heard was that they ring a bell, and when they ring a bell, everyone just starts praying. It's almost like the Pavlov dog syndrome thing. It's like, oh, ring a bell, and that's the way of you being told to start praying, and so you better start praying. And, you know, Korea is kind of a very culture that you do what you're told. It's a compliant culture, right? I'm thinking that's what it was. But when I got to his church, I realized, do you know what the bell was for? It wasn't to get people praying. It was to get people to stop praying so they could go to the next thing in the service. That all through the service, people are just praying. I mean, they're like, you know what I mean? There's rocking and they're just praying in the spirit and they are just going for it. And the bell was look, this is great, but no one else can hear what we're going to bring a speaker up now. So can you stop praying while he speaks? And then when he's done speaking, you can go back to praying again. It's funny how we westernized it to think, ring the bell and you'll start. And it was like, no, they had to ring the bell to get people to stop praying. I want us to pray in a way where we don't just pray when we get together, but it's just another way that we pray. 
and just jump in, jump in. You don't have to grab a mic. Maybe mics aren't a good idea. But when we say, hey, let's pray, I mean, it should be like charging forward. It's like somebody just said, hey, get in the game. You know, it, if, if, uh, if I was a coach and I looked at the bench and said, hey, get in the game, and that person's like, that guy's probably better than I am, but how many times are you going to get asked to get in the game again, right? It, it's kind of like when we pray, it's the get in the game moment. It's, hey, let's go for it. Charge it. Like right where you're at, pray. Begin to pray. Pray in the Spirit. And that, that will break stuff off, right? And it'll break through some things too. I will get into this, but this probably should be one of the points that I was going to talk about. So if you weren't there this morning, we talked about spiritual health. How do I know if I'm spiritually healthy? Okay. If I'm not spiritually healthy, how do I get spiritually healthy without becoming legalistic about it? How am I make sure I'm not just following another to-do list of if you do this, God will accept you. That's what legalism is, right? God accepts you because he loves you, not because of the things that you've done. But yet in order to be spiritually healthy, spiritually healthy, there are some things, some disciplines that I need to develop in my life. If I want to be physically healthy, if I want to improve my health, it's going to involve some diet changes. It's going to involve some exercise changes. It might involve some sleep changes. There, there are things I need to do to make sure that I maintain the health and I, and I get healthy and I, I maintain it. I can't just expect to pray and ask God to make me healthy without doing the things that make me a steward of my own health. Your heart is the same thing. Our spiritual health requires stewardship. It requires us to be con- us to be conscious of some conditions of our heart and make whatever changes are necessary to ensure that we not only stay healthy, but we get stronger. Like I know I I, I like to try to stay somewhat fit for a fifty year old, but it's not because of any image thing. It's not even necessarily because of a competitive thing. It's because I want to do this till I'm a hundred. I see some people that like are my age and they can barely get out of a chair and they're, they're, they're trying to preach and they're, they can't, they can't stand up on a stage. They need a stool on the stage. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I'm not, I'm not talking about like medical hereditary stuff. I'm just talking about your lifestyle has been so bad that you might die 20 years earlier than you could if you had just been a better steward of your health. And I want to preach the gospel till either Jesus comes back or I'm just worn out. Like I want to be in a place where I'm, I'm healthy for the long haul. I want to be able to play with my kids when I'm 60. And I've got other friends of mine that are 65 that smoke me on a bicycle. And I'm like, I don't know what you do, but I want some of that. Right? So there's, it's not the comparison thing to other people. When it comes to the condition of my heart, I want to be more in love with my wife in 10 years than I was the day I said I do. I want to be more in love with Jesus and his church than I was when I first got saved. And I want to be able to minister out of the overflow of my heart. I don't want to have this thing where I've built up a reservoir and it's been getting lower every year and eventually I just run dry and that's how I know it's time to quit. I don't want to do that. As Ted prayed, I want to be continually filled 
so that what I'm giving is out of the overflow of my heart, not out of the dregs of my heart. My hot water heater went bad yesterday, right? Anybody have any hot water heater issues? I just thank God for Nick. Everybody needs a Nick. Everybody needs a Norm. Everybody needs a Nick. The neighbor that's the plumber that lives a couple blocks away from you. You see, what happened was, don't you love when stories start that way? See, what happened was, I had an overflow valve issue, and so we had to change the overflow valve because it was leaking a little bit and water was getting in my laundry room. But in order to do that, we had to drain the whole water heater. Now, you know, a water heater's got a heating element on the bottom of it, and it's a big tank full of water. So when we drained the water out, when it first started coming out, it was like nice, clean water. But as we got towards the bottom of the tank, it started getting a little, little tan. Then it started getting a little beige. Then it had a reddish-brown tint. And as we got towards the bottom, it stopped flowing because there was so much gunk in the bottom of it where it had started to rust out that it wouldn't even come through the, the hose anymore. And he had to attach a pump to suck out the rest of the water and the sediment and the rust, everything that's in it. I don't want my heart to be like that water heater where I just keep pulling. I'm drawing so much that eventually I get to the bottom and that water is not so clean. It's not so fresh anymore. I want to make sure there's always fresh water coming in, right? Constant fresh water coming in. So the way that I maintain spiritual health is to make sure that there's constant fresh water coming in. It's time spent in the presence. It's time spent in the word. It's time spent in prayer. And as I said this morning, there are no shortcuts to that. I do feel quite a big shift that's happening in our church right now that needs to happen. It's a good shift. We've been doing this for, I don't know how many years, five, four, whatever. I have no concept of time. Let's say five years we've been doing Seashore Church. I know for those five years, it has really been a process of helping people to heal inside. Many of you have come from spiritually abusive environments. You've come from spiritually, uh, or you've come from abusive relationships, human relationships. You've come with some church hurt. You've come with some wrong, not everybody. Some people came from very healthy church environments, and you just were looking for a church, but a lot of people came from that. So I knew that there was a season that the Lord had really put in Romeo and I's heart to help people heal, to help people get whole, to help people get renewed. There is a time when you, you do need to focus on the condition of your own heart. Because what happened is, there's a lot of people that were doing ministry but not taking care of their heart. Now, you can blame the environment for that. Well, that's because I was in an environment that just kept asking and asking and asking. And environments can make you sick, but you can actually still be in a difficult environment but maintain a healthy heart. It's like what I said this morning. I'm not always responsible for what got into my heart, but I am responsible for what I do with it. So we needed to help people, and we will continue to help people. This is like It's not that that season is done. But there really was a season of helping people get healed and whole. And So even working with our team and like with Emily from our worship team, there was a lot of talk of how do we build a team but not to put too much on people that are still walking wounded a little bit. 
And how do we make sure we don't get to the place where, okay, we're good now. We're just going to go right back to the same systems that drain people dry. That was an honest conversation. And so it led to a lot of not asking. It led to a lot of just, just come and heal. And there's always going to be that element to church. Come and heal. Come and heal. The challenge is church is not a hospital. This is an army. It's an army that has a hospital, but it's not a hospital. It's not just that. We are recruiting an army, a Navy, a Corps, sorry, depending on what service you were in. But we're at war. You understand that? We are at war against the spiritual forces of darkness that have inhabited our city for too long. And you can't go to war if all you have is a hospital. It's time for us to shift from the hospital to the army. It's time for us, and I had a prophetic word that this morning, it just part of it was stirred from some conversations we were having yesterday, but I really do feel like that was a word of knowledge this morning. When I used to play basketball, every now and then I, I'd, ha- I'd roll, I'd roll my ankle. I'd have ankle injuries. I'd have like you, I tore ligaments, and it's horribly painful. It's terrible. It takes a long time to rehab. But usually, the way you roll your ankle in basketball is you you jumped up to get a rebound or something in a crowd of people, and when you came down, instead of landing on the ground, you landed on someone's foot, and your ankle rolls over. So when you're in the air and you land on something that's not solid, it's very easy to roll your ankle. So it takes four to six weeks to rehab it and then to get back in the place where you can actually still jump again. But I remembered, even though I was in the game and my ankle was perfectly strong and functioning, I was what you call, I described as as gun shy. In other words, I knew it was good but I really didn't want to jump after a rebound in the lane anymore. So you kind of get in there and you, I'll jump, but I'm making sure there's no one else around me so I don't land on somebody's foot again. Because I could, and even as I'm saying this now, in my brain, I feel what that feels like. I, like even as I'm talking about it, I'm remembering the, the crunch sound, the feeling, the, the whoosh, and, and how much like I'm feeling the pain right now. Everyone feel your pain, right? And so the hardest part about coming back from rehabbing a a twisted ankle was not getting it strong again. It was being willing to go after a rebound and not worry about stepping on a foot again. Overcoming that mentality was the hardest part of playing. And so you would have to, and I know guys, especially I never had an ACL blowout, like a knee blowout. It's worse for these guys because you watch a guy, you can tell whether a guy's blown out his knee or not by the way he engages in knee twisting situations there's always a little hesitancy there's always a little they're not diving on the floor anymore they'll go after it but they won't do that extra push of diving on the floor for a loose ball and you go acl or they cut but they don't cut you know what i mean because they know there's a chance that thing could happen again but if you don't overcome that your career is over 
because it's that little margin between the guy that will dive on the floor and the guy that won't that can make the difference between getting the contract or not or winning the game or not. And so I knew what I had to do was I had to get in the game and I had to make sure that I put myself in the exact situation where I got injured before. Do the thing that potentially could injure me but not get hurt. I had to do it once, and then I had to do it again. There's something about the second time with me. Because the first time you go, well, maybe I just got lucky. This is my own mentality. And the second time was like, all right, I'm good. Now I'm not thinking about it anymore. The unfortunate situation is the ones that kind of gun shy and they kind of jump, but they're a little hesitant, they always got hurt again. Because your body doesn't, you're not supposed to think about not stepping on a foot. You're just supposed to jump and then land, right? Just assume everything's going to be okay, right? <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea for ministry, but you, you just kind of like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not planning on how to avoid the injury again. I'm just doing, if I get injured, I get injured. But I'm called to go after that rebound. And I'm just going to go after it and trust God that it's going to be okay. And once you re-engage in the game again, you stop thinking about how to avoid injury and the fear of getting hurt again leaves you. I feel like for us, for our leaders particularly, it's time to start getting back in the game. And I feel like we've got some that are in the game, but you're still not going after the rebounds. You're still not diving on the floor. I'm not talking about anybody specifically, and this isn't a criticism. All I'm saying is it's time to start getting after it. We tell people when you're prayed for you for healing and you think you're healed, test it out. We want you to test it out because if you're not healed yet, we're going to keep praying, but we don't want to stop praying, assuming you're healed if you're not because maybe it was just that little bit more of prayer, praying differently that would have gotten the breakthrough, but I don't want to just stop. I like, like test it out. Like it's okay not to be healed right now. We'll keep praying and no one's going to criticize you for not getting healed or the pray that you pray or not healing, the whatever it is. But I think when it comes to re-engaging in ministry, there's a, hey, you got to test it out. The word of knowledge I got this morning was there's people that are still holding back because you think you're not healed yet. And I think it's actually a mentality that's keeping you enslaved. It's keeping you from engaging from the very thing that God wants you to engage in. So you're waiting for some kind of a healing that you already have, but you've bought into the lie that there's something else you need before you can engage. What you're waiting for is not going to come. Now, this is not everybody. There is a time for healing. There is a time... We've got 45 people right now going through this Sozo training, this prayer ministry training. I love it because it's going to be a big component to helping people get healed, helping them get whole. But just because what you did before got you hurt doesn't mean you're supposed to go do something else, nor does it mean you're supposed to sit on the sidelines or just like sit on the bench. You know where it says in Isaiah 61, we talk about this, when he releases captives and sets free prisoners, they will go back to the places long devastated. How crazy is it that God will send you right back to the places that hurt you? Not so that you'll get hurt again and come back and get healed and then get hurt again. He sends you back to those places 
because he wants to break the spirit off of those places. One of my favorite crazy stories about the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. He was in Ephesus, and he caused a riot, as he did. And it wasn't him that caused the riot. But they dragged him outside the city and stoned him. Now, when you stone somebody, stone, stoning wasn't a punishment. It was a death sentence. So you kept throwing rocks at the person until they were dead. You didn't stop throwing rocks until they were dead. So they drag him outside the city and stone him and leave him. That means he was beaten so bad by these rocks that they assumed he was dead. Somehow, he miraculously survives. Paul gets back up, dusts himself off, and guess what he does? He goes right back into Ephesus. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, Maybe I'd go to another city. I'm pretty sure I'd send Timothy to Ephesus from now on or Titus or something like I'd have another plan. He goes right back to the same place because he knew job's not done. Hey, I'm not dead to be with the Lord is gain, but here's good too. I'm not dead. What do you want me to do? Lord, go back to Ephesus. Roger that back into Ephesus. And I know that the Lord is calling some of you into the places that hurt you, but not so that you'll get hurt again. I had a friend tell me they had this dream about being pushed off a cliff. And they said they woke up and they started rebuking the devil off of that one. And I asked him, I was like, why do you assume it's the devil? Because I know this person's got a call for ministry. And they're sitting on the edge of a cliff. And the problem is with cliffs, you, you can't see right? It looks like death. And sometimes God pushes you off a cliff. You remember that Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade? And he had all these tests he had to pass in order to get to the the Holy Grail. Am I dating myself here? Oh, come on. You guys are my age. And it said, only a step from the lion's head will a man prove his worth. And it was this lion's head right here. It was this great chasm. And here's Indiana Jones and he's standing on the cliff and he's like, it's certain death. And he goes, all right. And he takes his big step of faith and holds his foot out. And you remember this? Yeah. Takes a step and didn't realize there was a bridge there the whole time that was completely camouflaged with the cliff behind it. And then it changed the camera perspective and you see the cliff. And they're like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. And he's smart enough to throw sand on it the next time so he remembers where the bridge is. <clears throat> I think it's a good picture that sometimes God puts you on the edge of a cliff and goes, go but that's certain death. There's moments when God goes, I want you to counsel people in their marriage. And you go, but my marriage isn't 100%. And he's like, yeah. I'm not looking for 100% marriages. I'm looking for surrendered marriages. I'm looking for surrendered hearts. There's moments when God goes, I want you to pick up the instrument again. I want you to engage in ministry again. And maybe it's the very thing that you did that you thought burns you out, but it wasn't the thing you did. It's the way you did it. And he goes, I want you to be healed, but you're healed enough, right? Like even when I got back in the game with an ankle injury, there's still a little bit of soreness, but I'm healed enough. Just go, get back into it. Okay. That wasn't what I was going to talk about. Um, any thoughts there? Any Anybody want to share? kind of your own journey with that or 
Yeah. Come on up. Can you do mine? Because I'm recording this too. Thanks, Kim. Anybody love Kim's new haircut? I do. washing some clothes you know if anybody needs something i'll be right there um so i don't know if anybody knows but i have a eight-year-old stepdaughter and she's actually going through the same thing that i went through i'm sorry if i get emotional but um i have uh, a gay mom and my mom didn't choose me or my six other sisters growing up she was 19 and um she got married to my dad, and she was pregnant before she got married. So we have a long history of um, had premarital sex and um, going off and kind of doing our own way. And um, so my eight-year-old stepdaughter, it's like looking at my life before my eyes as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old. Uh, she's living the same life I lived, a gay mom. And um, a I would say a religious dad um, going to church. And you have both sides of everything. So she's confused. And I always look her in the eye and I say, Riley, I know exactly what you are going through. I know how you're feeling. I know what you're going through. And so um, I actually got church hurt um, past few times at churches I went to. I was a Bible study teacher. And I taught... Um, uh, the young adults. I taught two adults, and I teach preschool at a church, twos, threes, and fours. So I am a Bible study teacher. But because I got hurt, I st I stepped all the way back and I put God on the back burner. I said I'm I'm hurt too much, because if I start preaching and if I start teaching, then someone's gonna call me out on it or someone's gonna um, tell me something. So I've I've held back my true potential in teaching and preaching to an eight-year-old who's going through what I went through and to have the courage enough to say, I have something to say, I have something to teach, and I know what I'm talking about <laughs> in front of everybody. And um, so what Pastor Clayton was saying is literally what I've been going through. And I've been going through Sozo. Sammy gave me a book of Sozo. I'm on chapter four because <laughs> it's, it's taking me so long to go through the healing that I, I, I need to go through so I'm able to teach others. And so um, I just encourage everybody that if you are having an issue or a problem that heavily lean into God because he does have something to say and you have to be humble enough to listen to him and you have to be quiet enough to not listen to your own thoughts but to know in your heart who you're listening to. So that's my testimony. Thanks, Kim. That's beautiful. Anybody else on thoughts on that or, or anything we talked about this morning? I, I, just a couple of the points that I had this morning about spiritual health. Um, part of the spiritual health thing, I, I guess what I'm saying is it, it's, it's time for s many of us, for all of us to get involved, get in the game, like get in the game, get off the bench, get in the game. That's the really non that's the that's the apostolic way of saying that. That's the way Romeo would tell you, get off the bench, get in the game. And I'm like, come on, you're okay, you're healing. I'm the pastoral side. God's healed you. You're ready. Come on. And she's like, get in the game. In a good way. You need both, the pastoral and the apostolic. Um, what I start out by saying is that you can be doing a lot of ministry and still not be spiritually healthy. Right? So it's not just get in the game. I came from a culture that needed so many volunteers that it taught that if you volunteer, it'll make you healthy. And it did not. 
So what happened is you ignore the spiritual unhealth in people because you need them to volunteer. So you only need them healthy enough to serve, but not actually healthy enough to thrive, right? I don't think that was intentional. Like, it's not like we don't care. It's we're so focused on all these things that it only requires bodies. It doesn't require. And so when you build, that's a house of cards. Like eventually that's going to collapse on you, right? And so it's important to know that you can be doing a lot of ministry but still not be healthy. But there's both. There's the health and there's the ministry side. And I really feel like for us as a church, it's time to start getting out. Like it's not just coming to church for what you get out of it. I know that's not you guys. And it's not just bringing people to church so that they get God. It's going out. It is going and making disciples. It's praying for people and then coming back with the stories of what God did when you prayed for somebody, what God did when you told them about Jesus, what God did when you served somebody, you, you, you helped a homeless person, you visited somebody in jail, you went to the psych ward, you helped somebody get into an addiction program, whatever it is, like those are the, not to brag back, look what I did, but look what God did. This is what actually happened. So that was the first thing. You can be doing a lot of ministry and still not be spiritually healthy. Um, what you allow into your heart matters. That was the other thing. Um, go to church regularly. Anybody like that one? Regularly. Like regular church attendance in America means once a month. Once a month. That blows me away. Uh, any of those? Anything that stuck out to you guys? Or questions you had? Thoughts, comments about any of those things we talked about this morning? The last one was be willing to accept that the spiritual diet I grew up on may actually be wrong. Did that hit home with anybody? Yeah, M. Do you mind using the mic? Is that right? Unless it's a rebuke, then you don't get a microphone. <laughs> well, in that case. Uh, one thing that stood out when you were talking earlier about anointing on you versus in you, and you know, I've seen a lot of those patterns, especially especially with revivalists. And um, two thoughts that really stood out to me with that. One is that I think I've seen the people that I've seen struggle the most with that seem to always value ministry over family. And they're almost always isolated doing ministry. That's how you end up, in my opinion, you know, getting drunk in a hotel room alone after doing ministry is that you're alone. <laughs> You know, you're not with family, whether it's your spouse or other people, you're kind of isolated in it because ministry kind of ministry can become an idol. And so if you idolize ministry, that's where you can end up with a lot of those challenges. Something I appreciated about Safir's dad, because he did extensive ministry, is he wouldn't travel. Was it two weeks? He wouldn't travel for more than like two weeks without his family. So they traveled a lot doing ministry as a family because he's like, if you want me to come for more than a week or two weeks, you have to bring my whole family and we're going together. So he didn't ever put himself in those situations where he could fall into temptation or fall into those challenges because he was always in family. The other thing that was really interesting is thinking about, I think we talk a lot about looking at the fruit of stuff to see if it's good or effective. But I think if you're looking at did I pray for someone and they got healed? Yes, but I'm over here super unhealthy. It's like, well, the fruit is good. 
so it must be fine. Like, that's kind of what I took away from what you were sharing was like, well, if the fruit of ministry is good, then I must be fine. But it's not the fruit of ministry. It's the fruit of your life. Like, is the fruit coming out of your life good? Like, are you manifesting the fruit of the spirit? Is your marriage good? Are your children good? Like, is your life healthy? Is the fruit of your life good? And then ministry should be the overflow of that. And that fruit being, if the fruit of your ministry is not good, then obviously you have problems. (laughs) That's a whole nother set of problems. But if the fruit of your ministry is good and the fruit of your life is not, I think that's a really interesting place to look. And And anyway, that was just something that kind of resonated with me that you were sharing that it's a good measuring thing to look at. Um, and yeah, I think I was, it's, we have had a lot of interesting conversations in terms of worship and worship team and something we've really tried to cultivate. And I think we've seen is like, how do we create a place where people feel a sense of belonging and like, like you're part of the family and you're wanted and you belong because of who you are. And then out of that sense of belonging, the overflow of that is like you want to bring your gifts into that. You want to put your time into that. You want to do things into that. And I think we've really started to see the fruit of that where a lot of people who were sitting and healing and waiting and going through that process are like, oh, I feel so connected. I feel so like a part of this that I want to be totally a part of it. Like I want to bring everything I have into it and not just like dip my toe in the water. So I think that's something that our church on the whole has done really well is create that sense of family and belonging where people feel connected and then they want to bring everything in. And I think we just have to keep inviting, like you were saying, like, okay, you're here. You're part of the team. There's a spot for you on the floor. Get in, you know, so. Great. That's awesome. Thanks. You know, the, we, we talked about this in our, our healing t- uh, series that we've been doing on Sunday nights, but there's two kinds of fruit. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's a moral fruit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like everybody remembers the self-control one. That's awesome. Um, those, that's moral fruit. But the fruit of righteousness that it talks about, uh, and uh, I can't remember where it is. I go back and look at my notes. Is it, That word fruit actually means power. So the fruit that you bear is the power of God to save, heal, and deliver. So sometimes fruit means the anointing on you, and sometimes it means the anointing in you. It's actually two different versions of that word. Sometimes fruit means the power of ministry, and sometimes it means the bearing of moral fruit out of your lifestyle. God wants you to have anointing in both. By the way, the person I heard that from was Benny Hinn. Anybody know who Benny Hinn is? Benny Hinn had a marriage failure. I didn't know this story until I heard him talking about it. That guy moves in power. I mean, he, he might sing some weird songs and his meetings might go on forever. But I I watched a guy who knows how to, he knows how the anointing works on him. Like, I was blown away. He literally sat there for two hours and sung, Hallelujah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And in an instant, he knew the anointing was on him. And people were like, boom, 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 boom. Healed, 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 healed. Power of God. And I was like, and then he goes, I'm done. It's gone. And then like walks off the stage and like, what just happened? And I just went, that guy understands how the anointing on him works on him. It might work differently on you than it does on him. Were you there at that one? That I saw it work on him, but I didn't know he had a marriage failure. And he said, the problem was I misunderstood the anointing on me for the anointing in me. 
Just because God's doing great things with me doesn't mean that I am bearing good moral fruit. And he was ignoring his wife and his family and his kids didn't like him at all. And they got divorced. And you know what he did? He stopped worrying about the power fruit and started working on the moral fruit, the anointing in him. And they got remarried. They reconciled. And they got married again and apparently doing really, really well. That is not the common story for what happens in ministry when that, you know what I mean? <clears throat> anyway, um, any other thoughts? Yes. I think sometimes when, when we hear things like, you know, get off get off the bench and get, get in the game, um, there's the tendency to wait for somebody to give you position because I feel like in the church at large there has been this like oh when you're in a certain position then it means that you've been given the green light and that's not how the kingdom of God works um just recently and this is like we're called to just leak love right so it doesn't matter where you go yes we we are going out for you know praying for the sick and prophetic words in the grocery store and all those kinds of things. That is awesome. But you're also called to just change the atmosphere. Like because of Christ in you, you walk into a place and the atmosphere changes because because you're there, because he's there. Um, and, and even, you know, just being aware of that is you getting in the game. It's a great start. Um, recently, my kids, <laughs> we went on a field trip to Yorktown Revolutionary War Museum. And before we got off the bus, we spoke about, hey, like, they know we come from a Christian school. Like, let's be intentional about leaking love wherever we go today. You know, we get to change the atmosphere. We don't know if these people know Jesus. Um, and a woman was explaining to us how um, with scabies back then, there was a, a sulfur cr uh, mixed with lard that you'd put on your skin. It would smell real bad. And she asked my kids, she said, would you rather die of the itchies or would you rather smell real bad? And instantly, one of my kids was like, I'll die of the itchies. I'm going to heaven. I'll get to be with Jesus. And this woman was like, well, I'm not so sure about that. And he's like, yep, that's how it works. He died for our sins. We get to go to heaven. And just there, it's like, she just, we don't know where she's at, but she just heard from a 10-year-old because he's aware that he's not waiting for a position. He's, he's in the game. He's out there to like share what, share what he knows, you know? Um, so don't wait to be given the green light. Like you've already been given the green light. I don't have anything good. <laughs> I can I can I can say stuff though. I got I got I got stuff. Yeah. I agree with you, my wife. Smartest thing you've ever said, Sam. I'm proud of you. That's a good point, though. Very very often, uh, <clears throat> that was a test. You passed. Well done. You didn't steal it. Is people wait to be asked and and don't don't step right up right. Um, let me talk about a couple of Sunday things that help. I know Sundays aren't the be-all, end-all of church, but they actually are pretty important for what we're trying to build. Um, a couple of things. In, in what God's doing and what we're wanting to build, I'll get to Sundays in a minute. The Friday night services that we've been having mostly here, that is something we want to continue to build and grow. It is one of our house churches, but we actually want this Friday night to become our Virginia Beach service. And it'll probably still be on Friday nights, which is one of the reasons we need a venue is because we're already kind of outgrowing this. And once we kind of 
launch it as a as a another service. Um, I know there's lots of people in Virginia Beach that want to come, but they just don't do Norfolk. It drives me insane, but I get it. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> but we really want this to grow into a service, and we can't do that here. Uh, I mean, honestly, Brent and Sammy have been having church here every Friday night for, what, three years? Every Friday night. Every Friday night. And I'm amazed that people still come to church once a month. I'm like, you know, every Friday night, they're opening up their home to do church and coming on Sundays and very involved. And look, I know there's different capacities, you know, and I know people have seasons and stuff. That's not to bring conviction on anybody, but um, <clears throat> I know that I, I really want to encourage our church to actually see Sundays and Friday. And whether you come on Fridays or Sundays, I don't care. Like pick and choose, whatever, figure it out. But um, I, I promise you I'm not the kind of pastor that wants everybody to come to everything all the time. We don't come to everything all the time, right? You know what I mean? Like I don't go to every Bible study, every most of them, <laughs> not every prayer meeting. And but I don't miss a Friday and I don't miss a Sunday morning, right? If I unless I'm traveling or whatever, I don't even travel. I mean, thanks COVID, I haven't traveled. Um, we really want to build the Fridays. Fridays are different to Sundays. It's the same spirit, but what God has been doing on our Friday nights is pretty extraordinary. The worship that is happening, we did it at the VSA this past Friday, and God turned up powerfully. I'm not a hyperbolic preacher that's like everything is amazing and awesome and spectacular. God always is, but Friday nights are significant. I'd encourage you to come out to a couple of these and 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 experience what God's doing in these smaller settings. We've seen people get delivered from demons. We've seen healings happen. Like instantly, we've seen two people at the same meeting get delivered from demons and then the healing came with it. I don't even think we prayed for the healing yet. They got delivered and when the demon left, so did the illness because the demon was the one that was making them sick anyway. All happens on a Friday night. Pretty pretty extraordinary. On Sundays, um, I, I do want our leaders to see Sunday mornings as a real priority. A priority in our scheduling, a priority. And, and when you come to church... I don't want to come to church empty, waiting to be filled. That's not the life of a disciple. Other people do, but I want to come to church full, ready to give out of the overflow. So I am prayed up. I get invited to things on Saturdays all the time, and I say no just about every time. And I'm the pastor that wants to come to all of your parties and stuff. I don't say no because they're not good. I say no because I want to get in bed because Sunday's important. Not because I'm the pastor. I've always been that way. I want to make sure that I've got my A game on, on Sunday mornings, right? And so the other thing is we have a prayer meeting at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, which is the engine room of the church. Not just that prayer meeting, but prayer in general. I don't know if you guys know, but you're living in the fruits of Michelle and Sam and Romy and Jessica and maybe two other people that prayed every Thursday night for years for what we're seeing now. I'm probably leaving out some people, Brent too, you know, and, and you're, <laughs> that's just a handful of people that would gather every Thursday night with Romy and me to pray for three hours. Wasn't it? It was a long time. It was just us. Can I tell you some of those prayer meetings you show up to and it's like, well, the prayer meeting isn't growing. Yeah, but we're not here to grow it necessarily. We're here to pray. And we're praying. And we're now living in the fruit of those prayers. 
Like you are part of the fruit of those prayers. Imagine now, there's more than four people here, when we can gather together and pray and believe for what's coming in the next three years, five years, ten years. I'm telling you, it is not certainly not my preaching. And as amazing as our worship leaders and musicians are, it's not the, the quality of the musicianship. It is our prayer life that makes the difference. It is the engine room of the church. It's your personal prayer life for your own spiritual health, and it's our corporate prayer together that, as she said, shifts the atmospheres that we're in. I want to encourage you, as we're stepping up as leaders, do what you can to get. You don't have to be there at 9 o'clock. There's no rules here. But if I'm a leader, I don't show up at 10.15, right? Or I don't show up when I'm rostered. I'm there, full, ready to give out of the overflow. I know there's seasons for stuff. Kids get sick. Stuff happens. But I've noticed in my life that if I plan and create margins in my life, and if it's a non-negotiable for me that I want to be someplace at a certain time because I want to engage in prayer, I want to shift an atmosphere. I don't just want to get there when everybody else gets there. I want to get there to begin to create the atmosphere that other people will walk into. Then it's funny how, one, my hot water heater goes, my AC breaks, my kids get sick. You know what I mean? Um, Rumi doesn't realize I'm right about something, and so that leads to a conversation. But all that stuff hits. But see, because I've in my heart, I've already gone, uh, we're, I'm praying at 9 o'clock, right? And then I get hungry at 8.50. I'm like, the bakery is right there. No, we're praying. It's 9 o'clock. Come on, we're praying. Like, we're going to shift this out. Everything else can wait. My kids can wait. My kids have an emergency, great. But if they're just asking me for gas money, they can wait. This, this, is, this is the engine room of the church. It's important. I encourage you to come out. Everyone's welcome to that. You don't have to be a great prayer. You can just sit quietly and pray how you want to pray. But I'd encourage you to come on out and be a part of that. Church already goes till 12 o'clock. That's three hours of my morning now. I only get two days off a week. I know. I know. I know. But it's important. It's the engine room of our church. This 30-day challenge that Romy's got for us to pray in tongues for an hour. Anybody finding that a stretch for an hour? Good. Keep stretching. Start at five minutes. Start at 10 minutes. If you're not yet filled with the Spirit, don't speak in tongues. Then spend that hour pursuing it with all of your might, saying, God, I want this. God, I want this. Pray in English if you have to, but keep, the Bible says, eagerly desire all of the gifts. Keep eagerly desiring it and reaching out for it. Yeah, Buck? I will find a nice point, a friendly one. I promised I'd have that. Perhaps. Um to circle back to your to your earlier piece the whole sports analogy thing i was back there wrestling with the lord for a minute uh while you were talking so he finally just broke this um so you saw the video this morning that clayton didn't really need to post again but um about a month ago that opportunity showed up and i immediately went wow that's cool yeah man i'm in all right and then the attack started coming and i spent three weeks trying to get out of it um not for any other reason other than I was absolutely terrified to step up at this point in front of 110,000 people. 
seriously. Um, but it was also the attacks of, you don't deserve to stand up in front of 110,000 people. Who do you think you are? The word coming in, reminding you of all the failures of the past, all the opportunities, the abject failure. And then, gosh, I hate this company, but it's a sports thing. You know, just do it. I, I hate those guys with the swoosh. But it gets to the point where when you know you got to push through the fear and the terror because you know God's got something. And when you press through and then he, for 47 seconds, thanks, uh, he gives you a congregation of 4.6 million people potentially. Um, it's ridiculous, right? If you really dwell on it, yeah, it'll paralyze you. Uh, but again, you got to, I just walked through this, so it resonates with what you said. you got to forget about perhaps jumping and landing on your ankle and twisting it. you got to get past your own limitations or what the devil is whispering in your ear that he wants to throw the, 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 the fears on you. Uh, a buddy of mine called me a couple of days before this thing said, he goes, hey, man, are you scared of this? I said, I'm terrified. He goes, the fear that you're feeling is not your fear of failing out there. It's the devil's fear of you succeeding. And he's pushing that on you. And so if our walk away is, if you're feeling that fear, it's not your fear. It's what's being, trying to be foisted upon you. Um, now I'm thankful and I'm grateful in the aftermath. Uh, what you didn't hear in that prayer yeah, 110,000 people, but it was dead bone silent. And to say amen, to finish a prayer and hear like 50 to 75,000 people respond back, amen. If you get real close on the video, I dropped the microphone because it's like, hallelujah. And I was just about to start singing in tongues. And I'm like, I can't. I got to be at attention here. What? Yeah, I did. I did. But I was like putting the microphone away and trying to drop it because it's like, Navy Chaplin has stroke on, on stage, and it's like, and then the Spiritfield people were like, no, nah, that brother was speaking in tongues. That wasn't a stroke. Um, yeah, because you know you're at attention. You can't be doing all that. But it was one of those moments of, oh, yeah, there's nothing better than that. So that was, that was a reward. Um, but, yeah, just don't let the terror and, and the fear of past mistakes inhibit you jumping for that rebound, you know, jumping for the next thing. Because when you jump through it, you're right. On it's the second time. If you've ever jumped out of an airplane the first time, the hardest is the second. But once you push out and go, yeah, I, I don't have to do this. I've already done it once. It's cool. You make that second jump. Yeah, you're hooked. And the third jump and the rest of them are just gravy. So I hope that was that point. Anyway, that was that. Thanks, Buck. That's awesome. So we'll finish this with this. Uh, we'll, we'll finish with this. Uh, I'll give you uh, the one point I talked about. So people that are endeavoring to get healthy again, like I, I said, I get asked a lot. Look, I wanna, I wanna get in shape. What, what do I do? You know, because every time I try, I failed. Um, <clears throat> on the spiritual side, it's kind of the similar to the to. What I have found is the best way to begin this journey. Is uh, just do one thing. I had a friend that used to tell me the, the key to multitasking, because we all think we're good at multitasking. We're not, by the way. He said, the key to multitasking is doing one thing at a time. It's like, well, that's not multitasking. He goes, yeah, it is. But just do one. 
then complete it, then do the other. You can't do them all at the same time. Just do one thing at a time. I was like, that was brilliant. It's not what I thought, but that's brilliant. Is uh, What's more important when it comes to your spiritual life or your physical health is you need a plan, but consistency is more important than volume. That's what we talk about with, with training plans. Like if you're if you're training for a marathon, it's more important that you're consistent in what you do than it is how much of it you do. Because what happens? We're like, I, and I would su- maybe suggest this as you, if you've been hurt in ministry and getting back in it again. When I've got an injury, if I've been out for a month, I can't go back to the same volume of running that I was doing when I got hurt. I got to work my way back into it. So I need a plan that's sustainable. In other words, I'm not thinking how much, what, like I went and did curls with Liam the other day and I still can't straighten my arm. Oh my gosh, because I don't lift weights at all. With Lifting weights is crazy. I need to do it, but I don't do it. But I realized every time I go lift weights with him, I go heavy. And then I hurt for a week. That's not sustainable, right? I can't keep up with this kid in the weight room. That's hard for me to say. Um but if I want to actually get consistent with it, I just need to do a little bit, but do it consistently three times a week, every day, whatever it is. Just make sure you pick something that you'll want to do again the next day. If you go back and you're like, I'm going to do kids every single Sunday and I'm going to run the program by myself. And then you get home and you're like, oh, dear Jesus, what just happened? You know, just work alongside somebody one week. Just come alongside somebody. Like, in other words, if you're endeavoring to spend time and, and increase your spiritual health, just pick one thing. So physically, with your diet, I'd say just change one thing about your diet. Don't. I'm going vegan. I'm going Daniel fast. I'm doing. It'll never work. It'll. You'll never stick with it. Just change one thing. So one year, I decided I'm going to stop eating sugar. Actually, it started. I'm not going to drink sodas anymore. That was enough of a change. I didn't need another change. I'm like, this is hard enough. And then I quit sugar. I didn't eat sugar for three and a half years. Not one drop of sugar for three and a half years. And it made a, I'm back on the wagon now, buddy. Um, But it made a world of difference. But I just did the one thing. And then once I got it, then I did another thing. I'd encourage you in your spiritual life, maybe just focus on prayer for right now. I'd say if you're, I'm going to pray, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to make a total overhaul. It's like, no, actually, just, just, just pick one. But pick one that you'll stick with. So if you pray an hour one day in tongues, and the next day you're worn out for the rest of the week in your prayer life, maybe just start with a half an hour, start with 15 minutes. Not as a dumbing down of it, but start with something you'll do every day. And then begin to increase the volume of that thing. Consistency is the key. You hear me? If you're going to read your Bible, maybe just read one verse a day, one chapter a day. I had a goal to read the Bible in a year, and it took me three years to read the Old Testament. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm not just trying to get through it. I actually want God to speak to me through this thing. And here's the scripture, 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 5-8. It's an adding to. Paul's saying start here, then add this, then add this. It's not get all of this at one time. Just begin to add on to it because you're actually beginning to create momentum in your spiritual life. I, I knew somebody that would tell young people, just go touch your Bible every day. Don't open it. Don't read it. Just go touch it every day. And parents were like, that's sacrilegious. They should be reading their Bible. I was like, well, are they reading it now? No. They don't even know where it is. At least now they'll know where it is, right? And uh, after a week, of, go touch your Bible every day. It's okay. Open your Bible every day. Don't read. Just open your Bible every day. It's developing the consistency. Now, we can do more than touch our Bible, right? But it's doing something you can sustain. It's, it's, it's the uh, consistency that actually matters. Fair enough? That was it for the teaching. It's almost 8 o'clock. I'll give you one more. Can I give you one more? Put your phone away. If you want to develop spiritual health, I mean it. Put your phone away. Put it away. Put it in another room. Literally, put your phone away. Staring at your screen of your phone is the biggest detriment in anybody's spiritual life right now that I've seen. Looking at my phone, sin? No. Put it away. It is such a distraction. It's huge. When I study, I have to put my phone in another room on airplane mode. And you might think, well, that's, I've got business. I've got work. Well, I have an appointment every day for an hour. It's with Jesus. If you call me, and if I'm in an appointment with Frankie and Brent calls me, I'm not getting the call because I'm in an appointment with Frankie. But why is it in my prayer time, my phone, I'm accessible in my prayer time? I have an appointment. Put your phone away. Don't take calls. It's hard for you real estate agents. I understand that mortgage people just put it away. You have an appointment, right? Get rid of the distractions that were constantly reachable. Do you know it's okay to not be reachable at times? It's okay. Put it away and stop posting your quiet time on social media. Seriously, stop it. Stop it. Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. One of the greatest gifts that you will give Jesus, listen to me, one of the greatest gifts you'll give to Jesus is your undivided attention. Your undivided attention. I, you have my full focus. Trust me, in the mornings, I don't talk to Rome. She gets up sometimes before me. I don't talk to her for that first hour. Uh, hi, how you doing? Good morning. Not like we're rude, but I don't ask anything of her. I don't, I might bring her a call. She's got an appointment, and it's with Jesus, and I don't dare interfere. And it's not rude. Do you understand what I mean? But there's a boundary with me. I'm her husband, right? I'm, I love you. Leave me alone. With her husband. That's the way we should be. I have the most important meeting of my day, every day, for one hour, and it's with Jesus. And nothing comes in the way of that. But things so easily come in the way for us. Just put the phone down. Put it away. You don't need it. It needs you. 
come to me and I will make you weary. Come to me, I will give you stress. Come to me. Make sense? I have that issue. That's why I'm saying that. I literally have to put it in the other room. That was two points. I'll be quiet now. And it wasn't even a nice one. Jesus loves you. That's my nicest point for tonight. He loves everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.